Alison Jones is founder of Practical Inspiration Publishing, a pioneering publishing partner for businesses. And she's also host of the Extraordinary Business Book Club, which is a podcast together with a community for writers and readers of what she calls extraordinary business books. Now, she's worked for 25 years with a range of companies, including Oxford University Press and Macmillan, a publisher in the UK. But she also speaks regularly on the publishing industry topic. And she's, among other things, judge for the Business Book Awards in the UK. And of course, she's written a book called This Book Means Business, and I have a copy. And I thought it would be really interesting, given the theme at the moment that we have on the Training Business Podcast, to have someone who talks about the process that she brings authors through in helping them get something from their minds into something that they can give people in their hands, which of course is a book. But as you'll learn today, a book does not necessarily have to be a physical entity because we consume books by audio and also books uh, in terms of ebooks. And that's a range of options that you have to get your ideas from your mind into someone's hands. But as we'll also look at today, this is a topic which really excites people because it does more than just give someone something. It establishes credibility in the minds of your audience and, of course, helps them to see you and your training business in a different light. And who doesn't want that? This is episode 112 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark, and I'm delighted to welcome you back to another episode of the Training Business Podcast. It's my privilege and pleasure to welcome you as a listener each week, and of course, to learn from you when you, when you drop comments to me and tell me exactly the kinds of things that interest you, what, what keeps you coming back to the show. But this is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants just like you and me all around the world. And it is a world of training business, people who make money and who love helping other people to be the very best that they can be. That's how I would define the training business. It's a privilege to actually transform people and to help them uncover their own possibilities. But the goal of this show is to ultimately help you with your business, which is to start to grow and to scale one, a profitable training business. Now, a few of the guests I've had on the show this year have talked about how they've used downtime, COVID downtime, to do things, which is not to suggest that everyone who's had time, downtime this year has had time to do things like writing books. But some of us have had time, if nothing else, to maybe revisit our goals. Why are we doing what we do? Who can benefit from what we do and how can we serve them? And for many people, I'd imagine, and I'm one of those people, it's a terrifying prospect. The idea of writing something and, and putting your, your thoughts into a format which other people can read because that sounds like you're being judged. And I think for many people, it's something which is a terrifying proposition. That's the, the, the idea of writing a book because one, it sounds daunting, particularly if it's your first time doing it. It's a whole new process. Secondly, it sounds complex because in your mind, you're thinking, how do you get this stuff in your head into something that people can read physically or electronically? And thirdly, it sounds expensive because, I mean, I mean who's going to design this? Who's going to print this? Who's going to market this? And can you afford it? 
And for that reason, I've invited someone on the show today who helps people just like you and me, specifically on the topic of producing a business book, turning your ideas, your IP, your system, which you typically use in your training programs, your intellectual property, into something physical, which people can read and, of course, learn about you and maybe want to contact you and work with you. Let's meet Alison. Alison, hi. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's good to be here. So you're currently involved, well, knee-deep, I guess, in the world of publishing business books. You're a, you're a judge for the Business Book Awards in the UK. What is the purpose of a business book in 2020? Well, go straight in with the hard questions. Why don't you, Mark? That's brilliant. So, yeah, no, it's really interesting because I've been in publishing literally all my life, I, you know, straight out of university into editorial with, uh, with Chambers up in Edinburgh. And f- pretty much as long as I've been in publishing, which is way too many years now, it's over 25 years, people have been talking about the death of the book. <laughs> and and here it is, stronger than ever. So, yeah, it is, it's interesting. It's an old tech form, uh, certainly the print version, uh, in you know, an analogue form in a digital world. It's really interesting. But I think that it's actually gained in value, if anything, we didn't really realise what books were doing for us back in the old days when they were all we had. But now that we have such relentless, disposable, low quality, um, replaceable content coming at us, sort of streaming through the internet all the time, the the construction of a book, the thought that goes into it, the, the depth into which you can explore, uh, into which you can dive to explore a topic have become so much more valuable. I don't know if you know Cal Newport's deep work, but, you know, writing is a form of deep work because it forces you to engage with really chewy stuff and, and not just kind of superficially trot on an idea and leave it onto the next thing, but really explore it and bottom it out. And reading a good book is a sort of similarly um, brain nourishing exercise. So I think that they have... We appreciate. I think people who read books appreciate them even more these days. And um, and also, of course, if you're reading a book, you have reclaimed your attention, and you you're, you know you separate yourself. You, it's an intentional act, which is quite a subversive thing to do these days. Yeah, we live in the age of digital distraction, where we have all kinds of tweets and 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 sounds going off, and even the Trump debate, which was on last night on on CNN, BBC, and worldwide, that inevitably takes people's minds off things, and then it's the next thing dominated by the news media. So. I suppose a, a, a book in some ways is is a process of focusing things or your mind on things which are important to you. But arguably, it's also from your perspective as an author, it has an intention behind it, which of course is to not just make money from the product, but the act of having one sets you apart as an authority. And I spoke to Jude Jennison back in June, and June is someone who's been through your program, and she's produced, I think she's produced her third book now recently. It's in progress, yeah. Yeah, and she's told me that uh, her book has added 30,000 to her business. That was last year. And then I spoke last week with Keith Jones and Tess Sharp of Alchemy Worldwide, and that's last week's episode. And they produced a book recently called Provoke the Art of transformative facilitation, creating dynamic learning in a corporate world. And they as well were were really keen and enthusiastic and said, absolutely, it took a long time, but they testify to the book as being a source of significant business. So if we take that angle, what, what separates an average book 
from a great business book if someone wants to write one? Yeah, so if you want to write a book that really is going to transform your business in that way and and add that kind of value, you can't dash it off in a weekend. And you shouldn't because you'd be cheating yourself, actually, of a really, really valuable process. Um, interestingly, when you spoke about Jude's, um, the value added to the business over a normal year, 2019, it's even more important than that because in 2020, she was able to pivot the business online using the book as the basis of her programs because she was no longer able to have clients out in the field with the horses. So the book, she said, actually, you know, and with no word of a lie, saved her business this year. So, yeah, it's what it what it is, I guess, is the central repository of your intellectual property. And because it forces you to set it out so clearly, to codify it, to create uh, perhaps a model where you've done things tacitly before or not really quite thought about how you do what you do, then that intellectual property becomes obviously an asset for the business. So that, you know, that is, there's real value in that. It's an intangible asset, but it also allows you to create courses, programs uh, off the back of it. And then the book becomes a really powerful complement to that because if you are in a business delivering a program and you're able to supply with that a quantity of books for people you're you're kind of leaving a bit of yourself with them you know there's there's a real sense that you have the best of both worlds there's something that they can access at any point that's just in their pocket but there's also you in the room giving the experiential piece and particularly when you're a trainer that is super powerful Right. So it's not just um, a physical entity or a physical thing, which it is, but it's also a transformation of your thoughts, your thinking process, maybe your intellectual property into something that people can can read when you're not there. And I think someone said to me recently that that's important. It's that your training often is f- it's it's physically involving because it you've got to be online, you're on the screen or in the olden days face to face, but people have something of you when you're not there. And it's 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 a way of almost generating leads because people pick up the book. People may not have experienced you, but they might read what you have to say and be convinced that you're the person for their business. So that all sounds great, but what is the cost of taking those ideas in your mind and going through that process where eventually you end up with a physical thing, a a book in the hands of a prospective reader? What's the cost of that? Because I'm I'm sure for many people it sounds horrendously expensive or... or (laughs) It's costly and not just in monetary terms. Um, And you talked earlier about, you know, what's the difference between a good book and a great book? And I'm afraid it's sweat, really. You know, it it is actually just taking the, the time and the space and the attention and the sort of cognitive effort to really think about, well, what is it that I do and, and how is that different from what other people do? And what what are my unique, what are the unique sort of threads that I'm braiding together here to do what I do? So most everybody's got their unique mix of, of skills and experience and background and training. And if you can find a distinctive way of presenting that so people get it, that is not trivial. But it and it takes time, which is why I say you can't dash it off on a weekend. It also takes um, space and discussion. So I always say to people, don't lock yourself away in a room. Do this in public, you know, or do this with a trusted group of people, because the especially for trainers who tend to be extrovert, you know, you get ideas by bouncing off other people. Uh, for me, certainly when I go in a room and write, the energy just kind of leeches out of me. I have to be with other people. So podcasting is great for that. So there's a cost in terms of your time and your mental effort, which is 
vastly repaid in the business, not just in the book. And then I guess you want, if you want to talk about direct costs as well. Oh, yes, we do. Um, <laughs> of course you do. There are three ways, really, of publishing a book these days. You can go the way you always could, which is traditional. That's, it's, not, it's no easier than it ever was. <laughs> um, and you have to watch out for quite predatory practices, actually, of some publishers who will say, absolutely, I'll publish a book. All you have to do is spend $10,000, you know, buying copies back, in which case, what is the value of that to you, really? Because uh, you've lost all control and you get very, very small percent of the revenues when they when they sell on and you've still had to stump up a massive amount of cash. Um, so, But it's great if you want, for example, to get into academic institutions. You know, the big publishers, the academic scholarly publishers tend to have the campus reps going in there. So that can be really, really valuable. At the other end of the scale, you've got self-publishing, which is uh, which is great. Uh, it needs a lot more time and energy to do well, and you need to assemble a team. It's like building your own house. You know, you're not going to set out and actually lay the bricks yourself. You're going to buy in the expertise you need. You're going to buy in a development editor, a copy editor, a proofread. Well, possibly not proofreader. You might use a copy editor for that. Page designer, cover design. You know, there's there's a whole village that goes to get making a book, and you need to assemble that if you're doing it yourself. Please don't design your own book cover. Please don't do that. No, God, no, no, no. I've seen a few, and they're horrific. And it's really it's a pity because it 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 kind of um, takes away from the quality of the stuff on the paper. It this it just looks like it's something knocked together. And that's your brand. This you know th- this is going out there as your Daniel Priestley calls it. You know, the best salesman you'll ever have. It never goes off message. Never had, takes holiday. And it's not true, is it? You know, people say don't judge a book by its cover. That's perhaps That's rubbish exactly advice. What a cover's there for, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, And then in the middle, you've got um, partner publishing, which is the sort of thing that I do, which is where we say, actually, the value of this book is not in the revenue that it will generate from the sales. Although, of course, it's lovely when that really takes off, which traditional publishers make all their revenue out of the sales of books through the trade. And that's a really low margin business. They're low price objects. Mm. Yeah. So it's a bit desperate, really. But if you are seeing your business book as an investment in your business, then obviously, your priorities shift and it's not so much about protecting the revenue for the publisher, it's much more about distinctiveness and getting visibility and allowing you the freedom to use intellectual property in other ways, uh, which a traditional publisher often doesn't allow you to do. So in a sense, then you're choosing a publishing partner who has all the traditional publishing infrastructure. So we don't just publish books through Amazon. You know, we've got the rep force in the UK, in the US, in Australia, New Zealand, and we're getting the books proactively out into shops and libraries and you know that matters um because they won't just buy print on demand um but you're paying for it and controlling it and taking the lion's share of the revenue and it means you can use that intellectual property and indeed those books in any way you want so you know those are it's it's great we have a much more diverse publishing landscape than we ever had before and i think that's something to really celebrate so if you think of it you mentioned the fact that it's a team effort so there are obviously people involved um, developmental editors, line editors, copy editors. I've learned all this, of course, this year by reading about this process. Um, and then you've got people who design a cover, you someone who formats the book itself. You have probably people who can help you with the marketing, and that's something we'll come to uh, shortly. But you also said it's a team effort. Apart from that, what do you mean by that expression, it's a team effort? Just that it takes the skills of quite a diverse skill set to to pull together a really, really good book. And even before you get into production, where you know you obviously have these different roles of cover designer, page designer, that kind of stuff, um, it's, as you probably know, if anybody's listening and has tried to write a book, doing it on your own is a real slog. It, you know, some people can do it, which is brilliant. Many people just kind of fade out. So having someone on your side or having a a team of people who've got your back and are giving feedback on what you're doing um, 
and just helping you when, when you have to articulate your thoughts to someone else sometimes you don't quite know what you think until you say it out loud so that sort of process is, is really really helpful as well basically if you read any good book turn to the acknowledgements and you'll see how many people are involved in getting those thoughts out into the world that's a good point yeah loads and, and often there are people not with formal process uh formal roles but but there might be people who've helped with research they might be friends and family they could be people let's call them accountability partners who just help you stay focused when you chicken out of a book challenge not looking or speaking about anyone in particular I, I have no idea who you're talking about uh, you possibly me um but we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll slip on past that one um but it, it, it is a team effort, isn't it? It's got, um, it's got the sweat of other people, not just you as, as a writer. It has your friends and family involved. It has people who might uh, read something for you, give you some feedback on that. And I took the time this summer in 2020 forever and irrevocably branded in my mind as, as the COVID summer. I took time to call some authors of, of my favorite, favorite books. And I was amazed how many of them were willing to speak to me on on Zoom or Skype. And and these are well-published authors. And they said, yeah, here's what I, I went through. One of my uh, favorite authors in the world of sales training, a guy called Mike Weinberg, who's written some well-regarded books and they're on, available on Amazon. He said to me, use stories. Just think of the stories that come to mind and use those stories to illustrate uh, the content that you want to uh, communicate to people. And then build that around that. So I'm thinking of all the conversations um, that I've had with people. They're not formal, they're informal, but they're sculpted in my mind and helped me to refine what I want to do. So it is a team effort, isn't it? It's it's more than just the formal titles we've mentioned, like editors and, and designers. So having that support behind you is key. And of course, that's something you do. One of the things that you do occasionally, or several times a year, I believe, is a challenge where you align someone who wants to write a book with other people who want to write a book. What, what's the benefit of doing it that way? Yeah, so the, the proposal challenge is one really specific thing I do three times a year. I mean, all year round, there's the Extraordinary Business Book Club, which is a Facebook community. We have a weekly kind of virtual campfire where people can come and geek out about business books or agonize over the, the saggy middle or, you know, whatever stage they're at, which is which is great because <laughs> your misery loves company, you know. Um, and about three or four times a year, I run a virtual writing retreat because I just, again, some people, many writers of fiction particularly, are introverts, and this would be anathema to them. They just want to lock themselves away and, you know, write from their kind of creative soul and all the rest of it. But many people writing a business book are not like that. They actually really relish, um, like like trainers, you know, really relish human contact and, and, as I say, you know, they get their ideas by bouncing off other people. And writing on your own for a sustained period of time is miserable if you're that kind of person. So the Extraordinary Business Book Club is, is there for, to support authors kind of at all stages of the journey. <clears throat> but one of my favourite things that I do at every three times a year, January, uh, June and September, typically, uh, I did an extra one this year because COVID summer, nobody was going anywhere. So <laughs> um, no, January, April and June, that's right, sorry, um, is the 10-day business book proposal challenge. And it's just really fun. I've been doing it for four years now. Can you believe it? There are so many books out in the world that were born here. You just join with a group of people and it's exactly what it says on the tin. You know, 10 days, two working weeks to go from a blank proposal template 
to a complete one. And we start with the reader because that's where it all starts. You know, who are you writing this book for? What is their problem? How can you evidence that they are aware of that problem and they're you know looking for solutions? And really specifically, you know, what is the problem? And otherwise, the general reader. It's not the general reader. You know, who exactly is it? And you've got to think about how that aligns with your business as well. So I'm not going to go through all ten days in that detail. Don't worry. <laughs> but you get the idea. You know, you over ten days, you're going um, through that, through articulating what's distinctive about your book, through looking at competing titles, crafting your biography, putting together your marketing plan, your table of contents. And it's a it's a sprint, not a marathon. Uh, you're pretty much on your knees at the end of it. But it is hugely energizing and productive. And we have a completion rate of between 70 and 85 percent on it, which I think is astonishing because it's not an easy challenge. Um, and yeah, as I say, so many. I was very proud recently. I had feedback from an author whose book had been accepted by uh, quite a prominent traditional publisher. And that publisher had reached out to her and said, please, could we use your proposal as a template, uh, as a model that we can show other authors? Uh, so she said, I thought you might like to hear this. You know, so yeah, it works. Yeah. And, and you said a completion rate of maybe up to 85%. I was one of the 15% that chickened out. So <laughs> It, it is daunting. I mean, I think the process of writing it perhaps is is complex enough, but I think for most people, it, it's the mental challenge. And I found that when I began to tell myself, I'm not writing a book, I'm just preparing a podcast, or I'm writing some journal entry, or I'm designing something, it, my mind found that easier. But for some people, when they hear the word writing a book or the words writing a book, it just sounds daunting. It just sounds impossible. It's huge. And where do you start with that? Yeah. That's why I think this works because you're chunking it. I'm not writing a book. I just have to write my autobiography today. I can do that. You know, it, it breaks it down into these really, you're just doing as you're told. So if we take the totality and let's just say we, we however we do this, some people swear by post-it notes and then taking a post-it note and then um, realigning them until you've got a physical structure you can see. For some people, using color in post-it notes helps because it's, it's again, it's interactive, it's hands-on, it's kinesthetic. It's kinesthetic. There is something really satisfying about that. And you can see the whole thing at a glance, which is really powerful. And then you, and then a guy called Pat Flynn, who's the author of Will It Fly and Superfans, he suggests then speaking it out loud, so recording it using maybe some kind of voice app like Otter or just using, you know, that uh, voice command thing on your Mac or your PC. Um, but what is the length? Because there are obviously various kinds of books and various formats of books and various sizes of books. I've heard somewhere between 25,000 to 35,000. Is there a kind of a rule of thumb as to how many words should be in a book, how many chapters, and then on that basis, how long will the whole thing take on average in your experience? Okay, so there are no rules is the first thing, of course. You know, there, there are no rules. What there are uh, are expectations and principles. So 25,000... That sounds 000, interesting. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> 25,000 is going to be light. Um, there, are, there are physical constraints. If you want a book with a spine that you can print the title on and have it legible, then you're going to need 100 pages or more. And 100 pages is pretty slim. So 25,000 words is going to struggle to get you up to, to 100 pages unless it's quite a spacious page design. So there's no reason why you shouldn't do 25,000, but you have to think about how that's going to look on the page, whether you're going to have illustrations in there, that sort of thing, and you know, in what format that's going to be. Um, 35,000 words is great. And 
do you know, it's harder, I think, to write a shorter book. One of my favourite quotes, I think it's Charles Lamb, said, I'm, I'm sorry this letter's so long, I hadn't the time to make it shorter. And that's one of the things that you do as an author is, you know, you probably write 100,000 words, but the value to the reader is in you taking it down to the right, 35 to 50,000 words, whatever. Um, our, our standard agreement goes up to 50,000 words, which works out around... 220, 250 pages-ish in a sort of standard Demai format, which is C format, um, five and a half by eight and a half inches. And that has enough heft in the hand to make people feel like they've got something in their money. It allows you the space to go into depth. But there's nothing magical about that. And I know I talked to Michael Neal about the Inside Revolution. That's 35,000 words, but it looks like a longer book because of this beautiful sort of spacious page design. And, and the use of the white space on the page really matters because it allows people... It allows the text to breathe. It signals kind of pauses for reflection. So it, it, a shorter, as short as possible, but no shorter, to, to paraphrase Einstein. Okay, so if one kind of chunks this out and going at a reasonable rate, and you will know from the authors in your program, how long does that typically take? You know, oh, weeks, months? Know. It depends how much time you can give it. Oh, if good point. If you binge yeah. write, if you, I know, um, talking to Graham Alcott, the, the productivity ninja, he, he was, you know, failing to write a book for about two years. And he's just like, this is ridiculous. Brought a manager into the business, took himself off to Thailand or somewhere for two weeks and, and just hired a beach hut with no internet and wrote the book in two weeks. The whole um, thing. The whole thing. So, but he was doing nothing else. He just applied his bum to the seat and did nothing but write his book for two weeks. I mean, I think it nearly killed him, but that's, that's how yeah. some people need to work. Exactly. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think he had everything ready to go, basically. So he could do that. The process of writing, I mean, we say writing, but it's it's like the old thing about Eskimos and snow. There's so many kinds of writing. There's conversations that you have with people. There's the kind of free writing you do when you've got a glimmer of a thought and you're trying to tease it out and, and articulate it. There's desk research. There's pulling together resources that you already have. And, you know, there's so many different ways to do it of um, actually creating the content of your book. Um, and there's also the things that you do along the way, which I think is really valuable. So rather than just locking yourself away, writing this book privately, if you, once you have your table of contents, once you've done all your good work with your post-it notes, then, you know, you can take a post-it note, which is effectively a subheading and say, well, I'm going to write 300 words on this topic and stick it out on LinkedIn as an article and, and you know, ask some questions, get some feedback. And then, Again, you're chunking it down, but you're also starting to just sort of get the word out there, socialize those ideas, build the community of people who are going to be finally interested in reading a book rather than launching it on an unsuspecting world. So if you're going to do that and you're really using the content as you write it to build your platform and your visibility in your business, in a sense, it doesn't really matter if your book takes two or three years, as long as it's all working for your business while it's happening and you're reaching out to the right people on podcasts like this and you know if you're writing a book it gives you kind of carte blanche to reach upwards to people and say you know I'd love to talk to you about this topic for the book that I'm writing and if you're doing all that then why would you compress that into three months you know you take a year over it and reap the benefits. Yeah there seems to be some kind of pressure I know people like Chandler Bolt talk about 90 days to your book um, now, for some people, that's great because it, it's an acceleration. It sounds like, uh, yeah, let's let's roll up the sleeves and get stuck in. For other people, who obviously have life going on with with kids and obligations, and of course they've got to make money, they've to earn a, uh, an income. That's ridiculous. Ninety days is the thing is that would worry me is that at the end of the day you may have a physical book, but is it any good? And and have you involved other people? And I think what you said is a great idea. And I think um, another author I spoke to is a guy called Dave Brock who's written a book called The Sales Manager Survival Guide. 
And he too was generous with his time and said, um, it's taken him a long time. What he's done is he's written blog posts, substantial ones. He's posted those, got feedback from people on LinkedIn. And of course, then those comments have helped him to reshape and rewrite. So it's almost more, I suppose, um, what's the phrase? Um, helpful, maybe, when you are writing something for a mini-release, doing that, and then writing it's something more mean, else. isn't it? Yes, yeah. the thing. And then, of course, it's almost like agile project management where you, you, you design something, get this in front of people, get some feedback, improve it, and then go on to the next thing. I think that's a great analogy. Yeah, you're kind of cycling in feedback from other people, or as you said, the other thing which some people do successfully is locking themselves away. And that's often for many people, uh, I think that that view of an author is someone who perhaps lives in a shack for a couple of months, comes out unshaven and has this book in their hand, but it's not always like that. No. And another um, model that I really love and I think is useful here is the luck surface area concept. Have you heard of this? No. What's that? Oh, I love this so much. It's, it, it's some Californian techie, but it's, good. And it's, it's an equation basically for serendipity. L equals D times T, where L is your luck surface area, i.e. The, the chances that you, the exposure you have to good things happening to you. And D is doing something interesting and T is talking about it. And if either of D or T is zero, then clearly your luck surface area is severely compromised. But if you're doing something interesting, and I put writing a book, you know, way up in the top quadrant of that, and you're talking about it to people, then you're really maximizing those unexpected connections and opportunities. And I think any anybody who's been through one of my programs will tell you when they start talking about their books, suddenly the world kind of opens up to them and people connect them to people that they had no idea they were connected to. And they are, you know, invited in to talk about it in, in sort of new for, uh, forums and so on. So it's just really interesting and it will take you places you couldn't have imagined when you start. Now, you mentioned the word platform, and I think that's something I want to focus on for a few minutes um, as we come to the end of this, because in a way, having the book is not the end goal. It's actually the beginning of the journey, isn't it? So it's this thing you've you've crafted, this thing you've designed, this thing you've poured your love and your attention, your time into, this thing now has to actually generate revenue. So having invested in a program like yours, Alison, having spent time uh, months often uh, with a laptop alone foregoing other pleasures to get this thing done. Now you have this thing. Where does the journey start from that point now of view? Well, now what exactly? Platform it's revenue. It's such a cruel irony, leads. isn't it? You finish your book, you think, thank goodness, you know, I am done. I have finished my book. But of course you've not, because that was only part one. And now you have to go and market it and sell it. So it's, yeah, it's really cruel. Um, I remember Anne, one of our authors, saying every single stage she thought was the hardest. And then the next stage happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, publishers will help you market your book. There's no two ways about this. Well, they certainly should. So, you know, we do all kinds of marketing for our authors, particularly the, the book trade stuff, you know, the presentations to the reps and the, the advanced so information So places like the Frankfurt Book Fair and so on. Yeah, yeah, we've got the rights team selling translation rights, you know, all that good stuff, working with bookshops where we can. So that's stuff that really only publishers can do. Um, you'll get, probably get quite a cool reception if you wander into, you know, your local Waterstones with a backpack of your books. Uh, it's just not how they prefer to work. Um, and we do the stuff, you know, the sponsored products on Amazon and bestseller campaigns and that kind of stuff um, and digital marketing and traditional marketing, you know, getting features and reviews. Um, so there's a lot of that goes on from the publisher's end, certainly from our end, but you are the brand, you know, we are not the brand. We'd love to be, but we're just not, you know, nobody buys a book because it's published by us. They buy it because it's written by you. And so 
the more you can do in terms of visibility and in terms of you know speaking in front of people who then want to have your book as a little thing to take home to have a bit of you um in terms of your you know your newsletter list the awareness you can generate the book team that you've built around you who feel invested in this book and are going to be championing it out in the world you know all of that that's what's going to move the needle really Right. So I think someone uh, talked about a launch party. Someone I read about recently, they said, what you have to do really is to get, you have to actually become the marketing um, genius for your own book. You've got to get people involved, family, friends, email people and say, hey, this book will be on Amazon, for example, for free for six days as an ebook. Um, give me a review. But, but there, there are creative ways to do this. And of course, that's what it's about. It's about creativity, isn't it? It's about using that, that brain of yours that put this thing together, but now actually has to put it somewhere else, which is in people's hands. And this is where having the business really helps. I think you are, you are a business person. You are used to this. You get that people won't come flocking to you just because you exist. You know, if you build it, they won't necessarily come. You have to put your marketing head on, get over yourself and treat this like a product um, and treat it as a sort of, the great thing is that the more tightly bound it is into your business, the more synergistic the marketing of the book and the business are going to be. So that's a huge help. And of course, then it doesn't have to be just a physical thing. Um, there will be, I guess, an ebook if you want an ebook version. Yeah, and we, we kind of we, we, it's standard. You would why would you not do an ebook? You know, yeah. I think often it's because people fear. Well, if people get copies of this uh, without paying for it, but in a way, if it's properly designed, it, it doesn't matter because it leads back to you. And also, if people enjoy an ebook, they very often go on to buy the print. You know, I do. I use ebooks as a filter, and then if I've really enjoyed it, I'll buy the print book because I, I know it's something I want to have on my shelf. You know, my shelf space is, is really precious. I can imagine it must be absolutely crammed with uh, books. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing, of course, then is is maybe an audiobook because some people prefer audio. Some people listen to the podcast, others don't. You've a podcast too. Others prefer reading things. So that's also another option: is to have a a voice version of your book. And that can be read by someone else or by you, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And audio is growing so quickly. I mean, I think it's the, gro- the growth rate has slowed down a little bit, but it was absolutely exponential. Weirdly enough, you'd think it would have really rocketed up during the pandemic, but because nobody was commuting, <laughs> business audio went down slightly. But business books do really well. They're one of the best performing genres in audio because so many business people are busy people. And you can listen to an audiobook when your hands and your eyes are occupied, but your ears are free. So if you're driving, if you're running, you know, the, all that sort of thing. So people who really want to cram the the learning and the self-development into their lives, audiobooks are a great option. So yeah, we absolutely, we, uh, in some cases, we sell audio rights to specialist audio publishers. Uh, in other um, cases, we support the authors to do it themselves and then ha- handle the distribution. Because again, we don't just publish to Audible, it's going out to, I think it's around 30 different audio platforms. Um, you wouldn't want to be exclusive with Amazon. They, they have a sort of seven-year exclusivity term. Why would you do that? There's so many other ways of getting to people out there. Um, and or we can actually, you know, work with a producer and, and a narrator in the traditional way and actually create the audiobook for people. So lots of different options and a really good route to take, yeah. Fantastic. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Where can people find out more about you and your program? And I, I say this because before we began recording, you mentioned that you're about to rebrand. Yeah, nothing changes in terms of the words. It's just that we uh, we tidy up the, the relationship between the sort of three parts of the business, if you like. So you can find more about me at alisonjones.com. And that's really for the sort of the coaching piece and the 
uh, practicalinspiration.com is the publishing piece. So that's all the books that we publish under the Practical Inspiration imprint, including Jude's and a few others that you've mentioned. And then there's the Extraordinary Business Book Club, which is the podcast and the community. And that's at extraordinarybusinessbooks.com. So those are the three. And you mentioned Jude. Finally, a big thank you to Jude. She was on the show back on June 4th and talked about how her training business, which involves horses, and that's an extraordinary thing in itself, um, leadership programs with horses, how that book has helped her. And so that's the kind of testimonial, I would say, Alison, for your program. People f- are saying to me it's working. And um, if people are on the fence, what would you say to them finally before they put this idea back on the door and say, I'm not going to write a book. I can't write a book. It's impossible. It'll take too long. What would you say to people who are on the fence about uh, the process of writing one? I'd say talk to people who've done it because you may well find that they, you you decide actually it's not for you. And if it's not for you, then that's fine. It doesn't mean it's not going to be for you forever, but it is a huge investment, as I say, of your time and your energy. So you have to be fairly clear uh, and you can get clear and people like me can help you. How is this going to serve my business? Is this in fact the best use of my time and energy right now? But if you conclude that it is, and very many people do, then for goodness sake, get yourself into a community, get some help, get some support, do the 10-day business book proposal challenge, which will really help you shape your ideas and give them point and heft, you know, rather than just having them floating around in your brain and and commit to it and just do it a piece at a time. You know, there's only one way to eat an elephant and that's one bite at a time. <laughs> right, just do it. Okay, Alison, thank you so much for being my guest on the program this morning. Oh, it's been great fun, Mark. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Well, that was great, wasn't it? I hope you enjoyed this morning's session, this interview with Alison Jones. Maybe you've got a business book in you. Is now the time to start laying out the structure and working with someone like Alison and her team to get this out of your head and onto paper. Maybe you've begun this process and maybe you've done what many people do, which is to start something, and I'm raising my hand here, and put this back in the drawer. The thing is, Unless that thing takes shape, takes some format which other people can enjoy and benefit, it really won't go anywhere. So maybe, as I said, now is the time to to revisit this topic. Thank you to Alison for being our guest today on the show. And of course, thanks to you for listening to today's show. It's wonderful to know that you're out there and of course to learn from you through your comments and through your emails, which you can send to mark at trainingbusiness.com. To learn about the kinds of challenges that you have right now, and of course, this is an opportunity for you to shape the content of the show. So if you've got some great ideas for episodes and content, please keep those coming, mark at trainingbusiness.com. And you can also subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and many, many more, which of course will prompt you or let you know when there's a fresh episode of the show, which there is, of course, every single Thursday. So until next Thursday, look after yourself and your loved ones. Speak to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.